Welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. Thank you for choosing to join us today as we look to connect with the presence of God and allow Him to do His good work in us. He loves doing something new in each one of us. And just between you and me, I love it when He lets me in on exactly what He's doing. But whether He's working behind the scenes of your life or allowing you to get a glimpse of it, His work is always good. I'm Chris Voigt, and I lead the team here at Dayspring. We have an incredible team of people who work tirelessly to help people grow. That's what we're all about, getting to know God better as we surrender more of our lives to Him and live out His love in relationship with each other. If you're visiting Dayspring today, we want you to know that we are a come-as-you-are kind of church. There's no need to pretend that you've got your act together. We don't. We have messy lives that we are allowing Jesus to bring wholeness and healing to. And we're working through our messes together. There's always room for someone new. Even if you haven't bought into this whole Jesus thing yet, or are skeptical about church or the Bible, wherever you are, we'd love to meet you there and walk with you as you figure it out. We're all on the journey, and wherever you are on your journey, welcome. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church, by checking out our Facebook page, or contacting us by phone or email. If you need help figuring out the next step to making Dayspring your home church, or if you just have questions, let us know. We'll help you find the answers. For today's service, you can find a discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. And now let's join our service. Today is part four in our summer series, Love, Dates, and Heartbreaks. If you are joining us for the first time uh, here in the room or online, this series is for anyone in love, hoping to fall in love, hoping to find love. It's for anyone who is dating, dating again, thinking about dating again, or too scared to date because of what you've heard about dating. As we've already learned, it's complicated. Dating today is complicated. So we're trying to uncomplicate dating just a little. Uh, as, as I've said each week, this is my opportunity uh, as a pastor to talk about something that breaks my heart. Uh, hopefully it breaks your heart uh, as well. But one of the things that breaks my heart is watching people I love and care about make relationship decisions that actually undermine their relationships. The relationships that they are currently in or the relationships that they might be in in the future. Uh, relationships that they don't even know about now. And yet they are undermining those future relationships by making bad relationship decisions right now. We started the series talking about two myths. The right person myth and the promise myth. Uh, the right person myth is that once you meet the right person, everything will be all right, including you. Wrong, but that's why it's a myth. And then we talked about the promise myth. The promise myth is that you can promise your way into a healthy relationship. That a promise replaces the need for preparation. Uh, you have to prepare to be successful in your career. You have to prepare to be stable financially. You have to prepare to retire someday. You have to prepare for every area of life. But when it comes to relationships, you don't have to prepare. 
You just have to promise, just a promise and a party. I do have the party and we're good to go. That's all you need for a successful marriage that lasts. But of course, that's a myth. Next, we, look at, we looked at Jesus' New Testament command. It was a brand new way of looking at love, a new covenant command that he gave to everybody who would choose to be his follower. He essentially redefined love for us. Uh, he said, this is my commandment, love each other in the same way I have loved you. This is the kind of love that I want your lives to exemplify. This isn't a do unto others as you would have others do unto you kind of love. It's way different than that. It's way better than that. We are to love people the way God through Jesus Christ has loved us. It's completely different than anything the world had ever seen up to that point. And when two people in a relationship embrace this new kind of love, amazing things happen. And then the Apostle Paul came along and he was always being asked to explain how this new kind of love worked in this situation or that situation. Because it's one thing to say, uh, love each other like Jesus loves you and another thing to actually do it. When the rubber meets the road, it's not always easy to figure, figure it out. So Paul was constantly being asked to make it practical, to give real world application. So he gave us the fine print that we've been talking about already in this series. It's the fine print that fleshes out what love looks like in our day-to-day -day lives. Now, the, the fine print is spread at, throughout all of the letters that he wrote to churches, which we find in the New Testament part of the Bible. But the biggest chunk, probably the most famous chunk that you've heard, even if you aren't a Christ follower, is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Let's just remind ourselves what he said. He said, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude, meaning that love does not dishonor another person. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, meaning that it protects the relationship, doesn't smuggle things, bad things into the relationship. It never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Now you can see how practical uh, this is to everyday loving. Uh, these are some good handles to hold on to while you love like Jesus. Now, from there, I teased these relationship principles out just a little further and applied them to the context of dating. Uh, last week, I gave you five rules for dating. If you weren't here and are in the dating season of life, you'll want to go back and watch that service. And to be upfront and honest, I made them up. They aren't scientifically proven or anything like that. Since, uh, since you don't find any dating principles in the Bible, I called on wisdom for some help and applied the fine print of love to the context of dating. Uh, you may not find them in the Bible, but I guarantee you they will still uncomplicate the complicated version of dating that we find in our culture right now. Or your money back. <laughs> Today, we're going to talk about dating a little more, and then next week we're going to talk about heartbreaks. So if you are in a season of heartbreak or beginning to realize that your relational dreams aren't going to have the fairy tale ending that you hoped. Hold on, 
We'll get to that next week. In fact, if you know somebody in, a, in the middle of a difficult relational transition, make sure to invite them next week, online or in person. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Back to dating. Today, we are talking about avoiding what we'll call the groundhog date. Some of you are picturing the Chevy Chase movie in your mind right now. Yes, avoiding that kind of groundhog date, meaning that this last date was kind of like the one before it, which, well, felt kind of like the one before that one and on and on and on. So we're going to spend a few minutes talking about how to break the relationship habits that are breaking you, breaking the relationship habits that make you feel like this is starting to feel like the last relationship that I was in. Or we might say how to date in a different direction, how to date in a different direction. Because at the end of the day, it is your direction, not your intention that determines your destination. Now, let me say that again so you don't miss it. Your direction, not your intention, determines your destination. Now, of course, this is true in every area of life. So those of you not in the dating season of life can chew on that as it pertains to whatever season you are in. But for now, daters, your direction, not your intention, determines your destination. It's a principle that can be pretty easy to take hold of in other areas of life. But for whatever reason, when it comes to relationships, we think that, that we can continue moving in a direction that will somehow result in a different destination. We do the same thing over and over and over again and are surprised every time we got the same results. But when it comes to, uh, when it, when it comes to every relationship, the ending the same, ending the same, ending the same, at some point you have to realize, hey, maybe I'm moving in the wrong direction because it is direction, not intention, that determines the destination. And when it comes to relationships, we are really good at overestimating the power of intentions, but direction determines destination. So let's talk about how to date in a different direction. The challenge is in any area of life really, but maybe especially when it comes to relationships, it's, it's difficult to change directions. Uh, it's difficult. And maybe part of the problem is that we learn from our mistakes in the areas of life that matter the least which we could unpack for a while, but I'll let you think about that one later. But we learn from our mistakes in the areas of life that matter the least, and we repeat our mistakes in the areas of life that matter the most. It's strange, but true. So you finally figured out Instagram or Facebook for the older folks. You finally figured out social media. You, you made a whole bunch of mistakes to get there, but you finally figured it out. Wait, you mean everybody can see that? Yes, mom, everybody can see that but you finally figured it out. If you've ever had a hard drive crash on your computer and lost everything, you figured out how to back up your data. If you've ever put leftovers in the microwave for too long and they came out rock hard, you figured out that less time is more better. You see, we learn from our mistakes in the areas that matter the least, but when it comes to the areas of life that matter the most, we have a tendency to repeat our mistakes, especially when it comes to relationships. Why is that? Now, I, I think there are probably several reasons. It's probably these relational myths that we've talked about operating in the background unbeknownst to us and yet influencing uh, us as we look for love. 
as we've already discovered together, unexamined assumptions in any area of life, unexamined assumptions are dangerous because we don't know that they are influencing our thinking. Unexamined assumptions lead us to bad solutions. And when it comes to relationships, we often carry these unexamined assumptions into adulthood from our childhood. So we've talked about two myths that mess up our relationships, but there's another one. Uh, the reason we repeat our mistakes relationally is the experience myth. The experience myth is that experience will make me wiser. That's a myth. Experience doesn't make you wiser, it makes you older. Not necessarily wiser, but definitely older. Experience does not guarantee that next time will be any different from last time. Evaluated experience is what makes us better. But again, this is, this is so interesting. In the areas of life that matter least, we evaluate our experience and we learn from it. Next time, I'm going to do it differently. But when it comes to relationships, we do not evaluate our experience. We do not evaluate our experience when it comes to relationships. This is what we do instead. Instead of evaluating this way, we evaluate that way. We point the finger. Well, of course it didn't work out. He's an idiot. Of course it didn't work out. She's crazy. Of course it didn't work out. He's like all the other guys. Of course it didn't work out. She just wants a ring and she wants to, I mean, of course it didn't work out. So instead of evaluating our relational experience, we just blame them, bringing us to the no better myth. Since I know better, I'll do better. That's just not true. Think about it this way. Using your inside voice, not your outside voice, what was it you did the last time you did something wrong? Just picture that in your head. What, what was it you did the last time you did something wrong? The last time you sinned, what was it? Did you know better? Did you know better, but you did it anyway? Of course, that's how it works. Just because we know the difference between right and wrong doesn't mean we automatically have the self-control and automatically have the discipline to do the right thing. We know better, but we don't do better. And, and here's what's happened. Here's what happens because we don't also automatically have humility. When we're confronted by our mistakes, when we are confronted by a relationship failure, when confronted by something we did wrong, we say, I know, I know, I know insinuating that since I know, we don't need to talk about it. Since I know better, I'll do better. It's a myth. Know better does not equal do better. And here's one more myth that negatively impacts our relationship. It's the time myth. The time myth is that time is against me, especially when you are 25 and practically ancient when it comes to relationships. You're not getting any younger. And if you have to go to another wedding, be in another wedding that isn't yours, you're just going to scream. Another friend just got engaged. All my friends are finding somebody. The, the divorced ones are already finding a new somebody. I'm not getting any younger. So the time myth is that time is against me. 
I see this myth impact people who are moving toward their second marriage as well. They think, oh, it's so simple. We've been there, done that. We'll just blend our families and blend our time. And then they rush into something that is very complicated with his and hers and ex-his and ex-hers. Listen, the truth is, time is your friend, not your enemy. Time is working for you, not against you. If you want to date and live and love and romance in a different direction, you need, to, you need a break. And time is actually your friend. Time helps you regain your balance. Time helps you gain perspective, gain clarity. Time gives you time to work on you. Because here's the thing. In time, you'll be able to see things that you can't see right now. In time, you'll be able to own things that you can't own right now. With time and a break, you'll be able to recognize your contribution to the problem. In, in the moment, you think, well, it was all him. It was all her. He was just a jerk like all the other guys. She just wanted me for my money, for a ring on her finger. With time, you might be able to figure out your part in the problem, your contribution. But without time and a break, you know what you'll do? You'll just blame, and you can't blame your way into a better future. In fact, blame has an insidious way of helping us smuggle our junk into our own future, smuggle our issues into the next relationship. You've seen this with other people. She's not dealt with her stuff. He's not dealt with his stuff. You tell him, I'm not gonna tell him. He just blows up every time I bring it up. He doesn't think he has any stuff, and he reminds me that he doesn't have any stuff so loudly that I'm afraid of all the stuff that he's not aware of. See, if, if you just blame the other person, you set yourself up to smuggle your stuff into your own future instead of leaving it behind. You smuggle your relationship issues into your next relationship. Blame sets us up for rinse and repeat. Welcome to Groundhog Dating. Now that we all recognize the problem, let's look at the first step to dating and doing a relationship in a different direction. I'm only giving you the first step because we don't have time for the second step. And really, if you get the first step right, the rest take care of themselves. Because if you can get the first one right, you are clearly smart. And since you're smart, you'll be able to unearth some of the assumptions that you've been carrying around and uh, using to sabotage your relationships. Get step one, you'll figure it out from there. And just to give credit where credit is due, the rights for this series came to us through Andy Stanley and the Irresistible Church Network, but they also don't get all the credit uh, because none of this was original to them. The Apostle Paul is the one who gets the credit for this change direction principle. The Apostle Paul was a first century Pharisee. Then he became a Jesus follower. Then he did something that doesn't seem all that abnormal to those of us in the church today, but at the time was groundbreaking. He decided to take the message of Jesus to the non-Jewish or Gentile word, world. Uh, here's this Jewish guy who before Jesus wouldn't be caught dead consorting with non-Jews. But now he's going from town to town, city to city, around the Mediterranean Rim, talking about Jesus uh, as he plants churches. This whole Jesus idea was so foreign to anything they'd ever experienced before. Uh, some of these cities like Ephesus and Corinth and the area of Galatia were hubs of the Roman Empire where Greek and Hellenistic thinking ruled the culture. 
And Paul shows up in these pagan, idol-worshiping, slave-owning, right, might-makes-right cultures, and he starts talking about the one God who sent his son, a Jewish Messiah, who left us with a strange message to love each other. Oh, and everyone has dignity. Everybody has rights. Women have rights. Children have rights. Slaves have rights. Everybody is equal in the eyes of God and made in the image of God, and we're all supposed to love each other. And the exclamation point on the whole thing is that God raised this Jewish Messiah from the dead. It's amazing that anybody took him seriously at all, but they did. And so began the movement of the capital C church as it began to spread around the non-Jewish world. It's hard for us to understand really how many assumptions he had to confront. We can't even imagine a world where slavery was legal, a culture where people worshiped idols and everything in nature had a God with its own name. And yet he was somehow able to capture their attention with this extraordinary message that there was only one God who had done something for the whole world that would be characterized by giving equal value to people around you. So to, so to help them reframe their thinking and really embrace a new, completely different worldview, which may explain your resistance to Christianity, because the Christian worldview doesn't align with your worldview. The Apostle Paul got that. I get that. It's probably a good thing that you hear a message like this, a message that lets you know that you aren't alone and God isn't angry, that God would love for you to maybe change your way of thinking and see the world in a different way. So the Apostle Paul wrote all of these letters to churches filled with people steeped in this primarily Hellenistic culture. Most of them were sent to Greek-speaking churches, and one of them was written to Christians living in Rome. Rome during the time of Nero was not a great place to be. And in this document, which really isn't a letter, it's just an amazing document that we call the Book of Romans, he gives what he gave in other instances, the first step to thinking differently about everything. But today we're going to apply it to relationships. And here's how he began. Way into this document in chapter 12, he wrote this. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you. If you are more old school like me, you memorized this when it said, therefore, I urge you. I urge you as in, I know there's going to be resistance to what I'm about to say. I plead with you because you're not really going to want to go along with this. I urge you, even though this will seem strange to you, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Because of all that God has done for you. And just what is that exactly? Well, he took, already took 11 chapters to tell us, so go back and read that on your own time. But basically, the fact that God loves you in light of the fact that God has invited you to call him father, in light of the fact that he is the forgiver of sins ahead of time, that he's already covered even your future sins so that you could have a relationship with him, in light of everything he's done for you, in light of his mercy, that, that he's not giving you what you deserve, actually replaced it with what you don't deserve in a positive way, in light of God's mercy, here's 
what I want you to do. This is a big ask. That's why he's pleading with us. Regarding your bodies, here's what I want you to do. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. Now, let me put this another way. He's basically saying, this is Paul, not, not me. I want you to write a blank check with your life and offer it to your heavenly father. Not in order to get something from him, but in light of what he's already given you. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. We see the word sacrifice, we only have a conceptual idea about what Paul means. We don't, we don't offer sacrifices in our culture. But everybody in that culture had made sacrifices or had seen sacrifices made. So Paul is painting a very familiar picture for them. Here's what I want you to do. The time for animal sacrifices is over. No more slitting the throats of oxen and bulls and sheep and goats. That's over and done with. Now I want you to climb up on the altar as a living sacrifice and offer yourself to God. Not so that you can get something from God, because that's what the pagans were constantly trying to do with their sacrifices, get something from their God, little g. Not so that you can get something from God, but because he's already done something for you. And then in the Greek, he uses a very interesting word. Here we see it translated as acceptable an acceptable sacrifice that the New International Version says true and proper sacrifice. The Greek word is where we get the word, the English word logic or logical. He's saying, listen, I know it sounds like offering yourself to God is a big risk. I know it sounds like a big sacrifice, like a big no to self, but Paul says this is the most logical, thoughtful, reasonable thing that you can do because God is for you and he knows what's best for you. In fact, not doing this, refusing to sacrifice yourself is the most irrational, illogical thing you could do. And then he goes on. He says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Here's the deal, folks. Don't be conformed. I don't want you to continue to copy the behavior and customs of this world. It's like we said last week, if you don't want a relationship like the majority of relationships, quit dating like the majority of daters. If you don't want a marriage like the majority of marriages, quit conducting your marriage like the majority of married people. If you don't want a relationship like the majority of married people you see in a relationship, then you have to do something different. Don't continue to copy the behavior and customs of this culture. There is a different way forward. Go in this different direction. Literally, the verse means do not be conformed according to a pattern or a mold. Don't form yourself or allow yourself to be formed. In other words, don't be this guy. Don't be that woman. If you be this guy, if you be this woman, you'll end up like everybody else. Paul's saying, I don't want you to be like everybody else. Instead, let God transform you into a new person. Don't be a conformer in, 
Our culture, that sounds like this. Guys just want one thing. Guys just want one thing. Guys just want one thing. Women just want a ring. Women just want a ring. Women just want a ring. It's all the same. I don't want you to live that way. You don't have to live that way. There is a different way forward in every area of life, especially relationships. So the, the question is, do you want to be a conformer or would you rather be a transformer? Now, I know we, we, we tell ourselves that we are unique. Now, my situation is different. I'm not like everybody else. Bad news, not true. It isn't and you are. If we just allow ourselves to be swept along with the currents of our culture in most ways, we end up just like everybody else. And in some areas that might be fine, but not when it comes to relationships. It's not fine. Paul says, don't be a conformer. Don't be conformed, be transformed. Now the good news is that Paul is true to Paul and like he does every time he tells us to do something, he doesn't expect us to just figure it out. He actually tells us what to do. Here's the head start. The first step you need before you can figure this out. He says, don't be conformed, but be transformed. How? by changing the way you think. Okay, now this is interesting. Don't be transformed by a prayer you pray, not by a commitment you make, not by a promise you make to God. This is not a moment in time, it's a process. You change the way you think. The New International Version says by renewing the way you think. To renew is to restore, it's to change, it's to redo, it's to re program. It's like uh, repainting a car. When you repaint a car, you don't just throw a new coat of paint on it. You've got to sand off the old paint and then you put on the new. It's a two-step process. The same is true with refurnishing furniture. Sand off the old finish, put on the new, unless you want it to look like crap. But then that messes up my illustration, so don't be that way. <laughs> you take off the old, put on the new. Wax on, wax off. Different movie, different metaphor. Take off the old, put on the new. Here's what happens if you don't take off the old and you, uh, and put, before you put on the new. The new peels off and then you're back to where you started. In fact, it looks even worse. This is why so many people make sincere promises to themselves, sincere promises to God or some higher power, all kinds of sincere promises. And yet the next time is just like the last time. It doesn't stick. It just peels off. The Apostle Paul says, look, I urge you, in light of what God has done for you, would you just hit pause? And would you present yourself to him as a living sacrifice? Would you basically write a blank check with your life and say, God, I've screwed this up so many times. I might get it right every now and then, but I'm tired of calling my own shots. So I'm going to surrender myself to you and relationally, I'm going to hit the pause button and I'm going to, to go through the long, difficult process of renewing my mind so that I am no longer conformed so I can be transformed. But here's the trick, and this is what we don't like about this. Renewal takes time. Renewal takes time, which brings us back to time is your friend. Now, let me give you a, a practical example. If you have been married before and are hoping to be married again, I believe you should be actively single for two years before you get into the relationship game again. 
And by actively, I mean that you have baggage that you need to deal with. Actively deal with your baggage for two years. Learn to be content alone before you bring someone else into the picture. Time is your friend. You have work to do on you. No one who's ever come to me for help with their relationship has said to me, I'm so glad we rushed into this relationship. Usually that's the problem. They should have slowed down. They wouldn't be in my office now if they had waited then. I'm sure there's a story or two out there that proved me wrong, but that's the exception, not the rule. Most people should have spent more time becoming the person their person was hoping for, praying for, then they would have had the time and space to see some of their own issues that needed work. They, things that they couldn't see or hear with the distraction of a relationship. Oh, are you lonely? Sacrifice your loneliness and just see what God does. Oh, you have needs? Sacrifice your needs and just see what God does. But you might miss out on them. You might miss out on your perfect Mr. or Miss Right sacrifice them, much like Abraham did with Isaac in the Old Testament, and just see what God does. Trust God's work in you and see what he does as you become the person your person is praying for. And then Paul wraps this, off, uh, wraps this up with a payoff. If you will invite Jesus to be the Lord of your life, if you will surrender your life, sacrifice your life like Paul is talking about, if you will spend time allowing God to change the way you think, then you will be able to do something that you have struggled to do in the past. You will learn to know God's will for you. You will be able to test and approve, literally determine and discern, figure out what God's will is. A transformed mind is able to make sense of God's will. Here's part of our problem. Until we can see as he sees, we're not inclined to do as he says. But when you renew your mind, what used to make no sense becomes, ah, I get it now. It's part of growing up and putting away our childhood as we've been talking about in this series. When we were kids, it was all why, 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 why this, why that? Because if it doesn't make sense, it's hard to get on board with something that doesn't make sense. It's human nature. We are far more inclined to do what makes sense rather than what we're merely told to do, right? This is what, what it means to follow Jesus. The Apostle Paul is telling us, look, your father wants you to understand. It's not simply do as I say and maybe one day you'll figure it out. As you renew your mind, there will be moment after moment of, oh, that makes sense now. I get it now. I'm beginning to understand what freedom looks like now. I can take responsibility for my junk now because a renewed mind recognizes God's will for what it is. Paul tells us here, it is good and pleasing and perfect. It's gratifying. On the back end, God's will is, I'm so glad I did this. I'm so glad I surrendered. I'm so glad that I obeyed. And in the Greek, this perfect thing actually refers to maturity. That over time, you will become more mature because you'll see in a way you've never seen before. Think in a way you've never thought before. Because as we've already learned, regret and resolve are not enough. 
Regret and resolve just don't have the power to bring about change. If regret and resolve were enough, we'd never repeat our mistakes. I'm sorry and I'll do better rarely make us any better. Because if you think the way you've always thought, you're going to do what you've always done. Direction, not intention, determines your destination, which gives you groundhog date, groundhog marriage, groundhog relationship. Think about it this way. Everything you've ever done in a relationship made complete sense to you at the time. You didn't do anything that didn't make sense to you. Every time you lied, every time you got angry, every time you got into a relationship, every time you got out of a relationship, whatever it was, whatever you told her or him made sense to you. But if it isn't working, then maybe it's you. You are the common denominator. You need a break. You need to clear your head and transform your thinking, change your entire way of thinking, which takes focus and attention. And the distraction of a relationship will keep you from that focus and attention. You need a different rhythm to become. It will probably require some difficult decisions. I'm sure it will require faith. But then again, if for the Christ follower, if it doesn't require faith, then God isn't in it. You've written him out of the picture, even if you're going through the motions. So keep the win in mind. In the end, you will understand, be able to discern and understand God's will for you. And along the way, I'd guess you'd rid yourself of some of those unexplored assumptions that are sabotaging your relationships anyway. So for those of you who are dating, would you be willing to just stop? Would you be willing to defer to what we talked about last time? Would you be willing to get out of that sewage pool we call dating, even if you think you found the right one? Would you be willing to take a year off from whenever you are hearing this or watching this message online and just get out? And during that year, read and pray, and surround yourself with people who think differently. Get connected with church. Clear your mind and deal with you. Focus all of your time and attention on becoming the person your person is praying for. That might take some professional counseling, so do that. If you don't want next time to be like last time, you have to do something different in the meantime. You have to renew and transform and change the way you think. If you do this for a year, I guarantee you will never, ever regret it. But let me warn you, if you decide to do this, if you do this, two weeks after you make the decision, you're going to meet him or her. And you're going to think, great, I've met them. Now what? <laughs> Try this. I really like you. Would you be willing to wait for me for 50 weeks? I want, I want to be completely ready for, to be your one. I want to be completely ready to be your one. I need 50 weeks. Trust the process. Sacrifice the process and just see what God does. That's how you date in a different direction. Let's pray. Father, Uh, relationships are hard. We all know that. If we were all the same, we think uh, relationships, if everybody was just like me, all, everything would be great. 
But even that's not true. Relationships are hard. And I think the reason they're hard is that you've given us these relationships uh, of all kinds, not just in the dating season, but in the marriage season and other seasons of life. Uh, You've given us work relationships, neighbor relationships, family relationships uh, to help us become like Jesus, to help us learn how to love like Jesus, to, to help us surrender more and more of ourselves as we become like Jesus which is really, for the Christ follower, that's the only thing that we should want, to become like Jesus, more than anything else. That's what Paul's talking about. Do you want to become like Jesus more than anything else? And if you don't, then there's a problem. Father, for each of us, I'd, I'd venture to say, that there is something in our lives that, um, that tempts us to place it above becoming like Jesus. It might not be a dating relationship. It might be something else. Father, help us to identify what that is and to sacrifice it as a, to sacrifice ourselves as a living sacrifice to the God who loves us so much. He already sent his son for us. Father, grow us up. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Let me encourage you to download the discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. Working through those questions, alone or with others, will help the truth of God's Word find its place in your life. Please reach out if you have any questions or want help on your spiritual journey. My email address is on the screen, or you can call the church during the week. This ministry is made possible because of people like you, people who believe in what God is doing through Dayspring. Your financial generosity is evidence of God's work in your life. If you're just checking us out today, please know that we don't expect you to give anything to support Dayspring. That's the responsibility of our Dayspringers. Just enjoy the rest of your day. If you'd like to start giving, we have three easy ways for you to get us your gift. Please see the online giving section of our website or text GIVE to the number on your screen or mail a check to us at the address you'll find on our website. Also. Thank you for liking and sharing and following Dayspring on whatever platform you're on, maybe even rating us where that is appropriate. It is really encouraging to me when you share something that has impacted you through this service with someone else. Until we meet again, may the God of all peace give you peace at all times and in every situation.